Father, enable me, strengthen me, give me the ability to consistently spend time with you because I now recognize if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's time to stop that and grow up. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 1. If you have your Bible with you, could you turn with me please to Romans chapter 1 and we're reading from verse 8. Last Sunday morning, as most of you know, we began a new series of studies in the book of Romans, and today we're reading verses 8 through 17, and you'll find it on page 1747 of the Church Bible. The Apostle Paul reads these words, or writes these words rather. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is why, excuse me, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and this is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Well, here we are in the first few weeks of a brand new year, and my assistant, Mrs. Lynn Johnson, this past week is telling me that her telephone is ringing off the hook, and it's ringing off the hook with young ladies booking dates in the summer for their wedding. It feels to us as a church that half the population in Greenville were engaged over the Christmas period and the other half are looking for baptisms. We've been inundated with young moms phoning and asking for dates so they can have their children baptized. That's a wonderful time of year. It's a time of year of looking forward and planning and scheduling, and some of us this year will have significant birthdays, some of us wedding anniversaries, uh, some of us are planning vacations already, and January is the time it simply is the time of year when we look forward, and we should. And this past Sunday morning, a week ago, 
we started a new series of studies in the New Testament book of Romans. And let me quickly go over uh, our introduction from last week. I won't do this every Sunday morning, but it's helpful, particularly in the first two Sundays of a new series, just to remind ourselves of the historical and cultural context of uh, the book that we're studying. And if you were with us then, we said that there are a number of things specific to Romans that will help us grasp all that's going on. So if this is familiar to you, please forgive me. But if you're anything like me on a Sunday morning, I learn so much but retain so little. So allow me please to quickly go over our introduction from last Sunday morning. First thing we said last Sunday morning is this, that Romans is the premier book in the New Testament for Christian truth and doctrine. It is what the Constitution is to our United States, Romans is to the Christian life. And if you are ever to grow in your faith, you must become familiar with the theological and biblical foundation laid out for us in Romans. It's where our faith stands. It is that strong, solid foundation that we lean on. And you find that running throughout the book of Romans, and we will certainly be getting into it in a moment or two and over the next few Sundays together. Secondly, you have to anchor your mind in Romans because Romans will teach you to think like few other books. Last Sunday morning, you heard me say that Romans will at times intimidate the life out of us. On other occasions, it will challenge us to think at a level we've never thought of before. Other occasions, we will be scratching our heads thinking, what on earth is the Apostle Paul saying here? I can't quite seem to get my, round, my head around it. At other times, you'll want to leap up out of the pew when you see for the first time a wonderful truth that God has convicted you of and you understand the gospel in a whole new sense. That's what we're in for when we begin to spend time in the book of Romans. And please understand this, that at 8.30 and 10.45 and 11 o'clock, when Sunday by Sunday, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people gather for worship and open themselves up and expose their heart and mind and soul to the book of Romans, Romans will take you to a level that perhaps you never thought possible. In this new year, 2014, 99% of it still ahead of us, you will discover that the more time you spend in Romans, the challenges and blessings that come your way will make greater sense when you see them through the book of Romans. It is a remarkable epistle. And as each Sunday we begin to get further and further in, I trust that will be our experience. Romans was, of course, written by the Apostle Paul. It was written in the spring of 56 or 57 AD. The Apostle Paul was holed up in Corinth, uh, in Greece, for those three months. And it would take him about three months to write and carefully craft and construct what is Paul's greatest letter. It is his most systematic writing anywhere, and it brings us to a depth of theological thinking that is found in few places. It is his magnum opus, as we said last Sunday morning. He's writing, of course, to the church in Rome, and please don't think of the church in Rome as similar to First Pres. 
In fact, it was the very opposite. The gospel was just beginning to make inroads in the city of Rome. Rome, of course, was at the very heart of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had about 50 million people in it. It was the largest empire today then. It covered most of the known world. And there were groups of 12, 16, maybe 20 meeting in houses all across the city of Rome. Rome, of course, is where Caesar sat. It's where the Senate met. It was where imperial edicts and laws and decrees were made and then applied to Roman life all across the world as they knew it. It was a busy and large and prosperous city. It was the center of... Uh, literature, poetry, the arts, it was in many respects the heartbeat of civilization. And when the Apostle Paul writes to them, look at verse 8 and see what he says. He writes, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And then he adds further on, verse 11, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now pause for a second and consider what Paul has just written. I long to see you. I want to strengthen you and encourage you. I want to get alongside you so that we mutually can encourage each other. Can you imagine what the church in Rome thought when those words were first read out to them on a Sunday morning? I imagine them sitting in the pew, listening to what was going on. Five or six of these house group churches had gathered together not a huge group, maybe a hundred in number, and saying the Apostle Paul will be encouraged by our faith. We are to mutually encourage him, the Apostle, the greatest evangelist of all time, the finest theological mind with the exception of Christ ever to live, and he expects that we would encourage him. This is incredible. Clearly the Apostle Paul doesn't know us. And you be, may well be there this morning shaking your head and thinking, Richard, <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. How could I possibly encourage someone else in, in their faith? That's, that's laughable. If you knew me in any sense, you would know that's not even remotely possible. I have none of the gifts or abilities to be an elder or a deacon. I couldn't sing in the choir. I couldn't conduct worship. I couldn't lead Sunday school. I couldn't chair a church committee. I couldn't do any of these things. How is it possible I could encourage someone else in their faith? That's ridiculous. Well, allow me please to suggest this. Your very presence here on a Sunday morning encourages those around you. Your very presence on a Sunday morning, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year. 
Because when you gather here for worship, and when you stand to sing and give praise and worship and adoration to God, when you bow your head in prayer, when together we open up God's Word, what you are saying, not only to yourself and those around you, is this that my relationship with the Lord matters. It's a priority for me, and I long to know Him more. Your very presence on a Sunday morning makes a world of a difference. World of a difference. Because it encourages the people around you. It encourages us as pastors. It encourages our choir to think we're not doing this on our own. God is at work. And when you move through the building on a Sunday morning and you're fighting against the traffic and hundreds are coming this way and hundreds going the other way, what a blessing that is to know you're not on your own. Isn't that incredible? Just to think your very presence is an encouragement to others. Let me go a little further. You may now be saying, well, Richard, I, I see that. I never thought of it that way, but I'm grateful for it. But you may also be saying, Richard, in all honesty, in terms of my faith, 2013 was not a good year for me. It simply wasn't. I wandered a little. My prayer life was not what it should have been. I'm not spending time in the scriptures as I once did. There's habits in my life I'm deeply ashamed of. I can't do a thing about it. I don't honestly think I'm the right person to encourage anyone. It's just not me. And if I was honest, my back is up against the wall, and, and I know this, that if nothing in my spiritual life changes, I'm going nowhere fast. Last March, at our men's retreat, I listened to one of the speakers. And at one point, one of them said this, and I held on to it. It's been so helpful. And talking about their spiritual life, he said this, that if nothing changes, nothing changes. If nothing changes, nothing changes. In 2014, where are you going in your faith? Did you last Sunday morning when we gave out the new bookmarks in our worship folder and on one side it says Romans quite deliberately. We've listed the dates through January, February and March to give you a sense of what passages we'll be reading. I suggested last Sunday morning, if you don't have a regular Bible reading plan, simply take those verses and live with them Monday through Friday in preparation for the following Sunday. And what you will discover is this, that when you consistently spend time in God's Word, the passage that you initially read and thought, oh, I'm not getting much out of this, 
But when you read it a second day and a third day and a fourth day, you will discover that it begins to impact you in strange ways. The challenges you face, the issues before you, will begin to look a little different because of what you've read and applied to your life through reading the Scriptures. And on the other side, there was a section with four possible resolutions for the new year, and it was entitled, I Promised. And I challenged you last Sunday morning to take it home, to think carefully and prayerfully, and jot down what would be your three or four resolutions for this new year. Now, we're not going to do this a third Sunday and a fourth Sunday, but I did want to, the first two Sundays of the new year, challenge you very specifically to take a sacred moment this week between you and the Lord and say, Father, what are those areas in my spiritual life that need to change? Help me to focus. Help me to concentrate. Help me not to be distracted or diverted, but to put down in writing at the beginning of a new year what needs to change. Father, enable me. Strengthen me. Give me the ability to consistently spend time with you because I now recognize if nothing changes, nothing changes. And it's time to stop that and grow up and move on in our faith and say, Father, help me to mature this year. I'm done with that stuff. Help me move on in my faith. So I was preparing this past week for this morning. I was in two minds to tell you what my number one spiritual resolution would be this year. And here it is. Faithfulness. Father, strengthen me. Enable me, please, to be faithful in my walk with you. Day by day by day, moment by moment. Father, help me to be faithful as a pastor. Help me to be faithful as a friend. Help me to be faithful as a husband and as a father. Help me to be faithful in my prayer life and time in your word. Help me to grow in my faith. Enable me to be faithful. Help me to make sure that the main things are the main things because they are the main things. Are you ready? This week, prayerfully, seriously, take out your bookmark, work your way through Romans and say, Father, in this coming year, that's what I am longing for. That's where I need to be. And that's why Paul writes, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I cannot help but wonder this morning if God has not strategically placed you in a position of influence in order that others might see in you the life of Christ. That's why Paul was excited for the church in Rome. The Emperor Nero 
was on the imperial throne from the year 54 AD and for the first five years to 59 AD they were good prosperous years for the empire they weren't so good for his half-brother Britannicus after a year of being Caesar he had his half-brother murdered through the influence and insistence of his mother can you imagine and then some years later, Nero had his own mother assassinated. When the great fire of London broke out in AD 64, Nero blamed it on this growing Christian sect. Had many hundreds arrested, brutalized, and executed. Set on fire on public streets in order that people could see their way through Rome of an evening. Nero eventually took his own life. His lust for power was insatiable and the Senate were about to remove him from power and at 30 years old he took his life. Rome was a tough city. Multiple challenges would come the way of any Christian in Rome. They will, they will come your way in this new year. But you will respond to them with faithfulness and consistency when prayerfully you are saying, Father, let me be yours in this new year. And let me wrap up our thinking this morning as we get to verse 16. And Paul continues, having said he was eager to visit them, he wanted to encourage them so that they may be mutually encouraged in their faith. And he writes at verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. My wife and I came to faith in very different ways. Ruth, as a child, was brought up going to church and Sunday school and very gradually the gospel had an impact on her life till in her early teenage years she took that step of faith and commitment. I, on the other hand, was a very different kettle of fish. And you've heard me say I was not a good boy. And at age 20, Ruth had been dragging me to church Sunday after Sunday, and I really disliked it. These were really odd people, and they were. They were. They were Christian people, and I was threatened by it. They loved the Lord and longed to grow in their faith, and I kept pushing them away and pushing them away until one evening I was at an evening service, and God spoke to me deeply and utterly convicted me down in the deepest recess of my heart and soul. At the end of that service, I walked forward and said I need to speak to someone. They counseled me, gave me a gospel of Mark and sent me home. And that night I knew when I put my head in the pillow that God was real, that Christ had died for my sins, that his Holy Spirit had come to live within me and I would spend eternity with him in heaven. I could not believe the overwhelming sense of peace that that brought. What an incredible breakthrough. And I remember it like yesterday. I switched the radio alarm from the radio to the alarm and the alarm went off the next morning at 6.30. And as I dozed off that night, I prayed, Father, if you are there in the way I now know you to be, show me please in some small way tomorrow. And the next morning when the buzzer went off at 6.30, I moved it from the buzzer to the radio 
And on the radio, public radio, was a hymn, How Great Thou Art. And I thought, wow, this is incredible. Now, I was so dense, I had no idea at 6.30, every morning they played a hymn. <laughs> but I thought, this is incredible. And I got up and showered and shaved and was going off to work. I worked on a construction site as an electrician. I had bright orange coveralls, a construction jacket and a hat. It had been raining. I walked about two miles to the railway station, got on the train. And in my pocket, before I had left, I had scooped up this bright orange gospel of Mark, put it in my pocket, and I thought, as a Christian, I ought to be reading the Bible. And so I opened up Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, and started working my way through it. About three stations later, a man came and he sat down right beside me, which I thought was odd, because in public transport, you don't do that. You don't sit immediately next to someone, at least not in Scotland. And he said, good morning. And the other thing is, you don't speak to an entire stranger. And I looked in his direction and said, aye, and went back to Mark's gospel. And he said, nice to see we have something in common. orange coveralls and he had on a suit and a raincoat and a briefcase and I had a lunchbox and a construction jacket. And I looked at him and he immediately realized he was dealing with an imbecile. <laughs> and he said, no, I mean your Bible. And I was embarrassed. I don't think I was ashamed, but I was embarrassed to be caught in public reading a Bible. And he said, yep, I've got one. And he put his hand in his briefcase and he lifted out his Bible. And I thought, my goodness, I've not been awake for two hours. And twice in quick succession has God confirmed the step of faith the night before. We may never be ashamed of the gospel. But from time to time we may find ourselves in situations when we are a little embarrassed. When someone in our place of work treats us at arm's length because we are men and women of faith. When someone tells us an off-color joke and we don't laugh or participate. And we find ourselves in a public restaurant and we know we should say grace at the beginning of a meal, yet we don't. If you are ever to grow in your faith, it's the things that challenge us that make us strong. In those moments of crisis, will we stand for the things of Christ or not? That's what was making the church at Rome exciting. That's why Paul was saying, it's being reported all over the world. And we're excited for you and praying for you and be encouraged God is at work. And in this new year, Take time this week, jot down your resolution spiritually and show consistency and faith in worship and prayer and in faith. For that's when you'll begin to grow. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture that's spoken to us so clearly this morning. 
Help us, please, in our walk with you to be faithful in all that you're calling us to. Help us to show consistency in our prayer life. And Father, may we this year be an encouragement to others by our very presence, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. Father, bless us as individuals. Bless our families this year. Bless us as a congregation of the people of God as we seek to serve you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. First Presbyterian Church's 37th Annual Turner Memorial Breakfast is Thursday, January 30th in the church gymnasium. Our speaker this year is L.A. Angels pitcher Michael Roth. A National Player of the Year while at the University of South Carolina, Michael led the Gamecocks to back-to-back -back College World Series championships in 2010 and 2011. A buffet breakfast begins at 6 a.m. and Michael Roth will take the stage at 7. Tickets are $10 and only available in advance. Contact First Presbyterian Greenville at 235-0496.